Welcome to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's show guest is a self-made entrepreneur by the name of Pejman Gadimi. Pejman has a very unique story. He was born in the middle of the Iranian Revolution. So he spent most of his childhood in France and only moved to the United States in 1997. He was raised by a single mother and due to the limited resources they had as first-generation immigrants into the United States, he started working at a very young age doing telemarketing at the age of 14. He eventually worked his way into a lucrative banking job in finance, but he didn't stop there. He was an entrepreneur at heart, and he left banking and then leveraged his resources to end up building three major businesses, which have collectively grossed over 40 million U.S. dollars in annual revenue. He has a lot of insights and shares with us today his incredible journey and his secrets to success. Let's get on to the show. Pajman, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I, uh, I'm very excited to have you actually because, uh, you know, I, you have an incredible story and uh, I think that our audience is going to get a lot of value out of uh, what you have to say and just hearing about your incredible journey and, uh, and what you've accomplished. So maybe for our audience, you can give us a little uh, quick introduction on uh, who you are and what you do for a living. Absolutely. So my name is Pejman Gidemi and I'm the founder of Secret Entourage as well as a dozen other businesses. But notoriously, I am known for having authored Third Circle Theory and Radius. Uh, Third Circle Theory is a self-published book that has sold over 350,000 copies uh, globally. And then uh, Radius is its sequel that just came out. I uh, became somewhat of a business figure being a bank manager at the age of 18 which was uh, very crazy for not having a degree and just having graduated high school and then followed up uh, to become an executive VP for a Fortune 500 company by 23, only to find myself fired by 25. Uh, I established the world's first uh, investment fund in exotic cars uh, that was known as VIP Motoring, which can be found at VIPmotoring.net, where uh, I created a concept that allowed people to turn their liabilities into investment assets and ultimately uh, use things such as exotic cars, watches, and everything else uh, to grow their portfolio of investments rather than just lose money uh, by making bad decisions around things that they've just wanted to own anyways. Uh, And from there, I made my mark on the online world, having established Secret Entourage, Exotic Car Hacks, and Watch Conspiracy. Again, following through with this path of education and finance and mixing the two, uh, but bringing it all online. Amazing. Hopefully that wasn't too long. Try not to bore you guys. No, no, no. Actually, quite the contrary. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into each uh, one of those parts of your story. But I want to dial it way back and talk a little bit about uh, about how you started off. I mean, you said that you you were started working at a very young age. Uh, you basically, as a teenager, you were already managing people so tell us about that you know i mean you guys you you are a you are a first generation immigrant into the united states which uh you know i have i have a lot of respect for because uh my my parents were the same uh, a little bit uh before your time but uh (laughs) nonetheless i i i respect that a lot because it's 
uh, when people come to America uh, with nothing and create, you know, their their the, the lives of their dreams or or, or what have you uh, with with nothing, it, it's always very impressive. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that experience. Sure. Yeah. I mean, when when we first migrated to the U.S., I mean, I was a child. I didn't have much of a say in terms of where we were going, what we were going to do. But my mom was a, a, a very important person in Iran, uh, working for the government. And the uh, revolution pretty much forced us to become refugees in France because we couldn't come to the U.S. And so we spent twelve year, about 11 years in France. Uh, and on the 12th year, made our way into the U.S. finally on a visa, not even on a green card. So when we got to the U.S., you know, I mean, we didn't have green cards. We didn't have social securities. And that process took such a long time in itself uh, in that, you know, I was well past my 14 years of age and still didn't have uh, the ability to work or do anything. And my mom at that point had already gone through multiple attempts at, at making or trying to take and do something in the U.S. to try to make us survive. But unfortunately, time and time again, failure after failure in business, uh, we ended up just functioning. You know, she was a cashier at a restaurant, despite having a high-ranking title in our country back in the day. And then I was going to school while we lived in a basement, you know. So it got to a point where I said, hey, enough is enough. I got to help somehow, you know. So I went looking for a job, and unfortunately, without papers, you're very limited on what you can do. Uh, I started a very small car wash thing going on in neighborhoods where I offered to wash cars because, you know, we were in an area where we didn't have access to things like Uber or transportation, et cetera. So uh, whatever I could do locally. And then uh, I got very fortunate that I found a way to kind of sneak my way into a company as a telemarketer at the age of 14. Uh, and I took that job really seriously, Jake. You know, like for me, it was like the only job I could have, and it was paying 12 bucks an hour, which was amazing, you know, plus commissions. Right. Uh, and, for, you know, for someone that can't have a job and begged McDonald's for a job to even clean toilets and was declined multiple times, I felt that it was a blessing so so big that I, I had to take it seriously and I had to do well. And that's what I did. I spent four years uh, until the age of 18 being a, a telemarketer and moving up in the same company uh, slowly, but obviously getting my papers by then. And by the time I was 18, I was the director of that very same company and had found not only a lot of success, both in sales management, but also had gained a lot of experience in service and everything that came with managing people. And so, you know, at 18, I decided to uh, broaden my horizons and try. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life, but I knew for a fact uh, that I wanted I didn't want to be poor, you know, and I had gotten a taste of making money. I was making decent money by the age of 18, and I decided that I had to figure out uh, a way to push myself even further. I wasn't entrepreneurial. I wasn't like a business owner. I was just a normal kid that just wanted to make money to help his family. And so I found my way by then with papers uh, to a banking interview. And I figured uh, if you don't understand money, the best thing you can do is be around it long enough till it becomes contagious. <laughs> so that's why I decided to work in a bank, you know? Um, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, so there's a couple things from that. So first of all, I, I love that story. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it... First generation immigrants uh, that come to this country, sorry, the U.S., uh, I'm, I'm based in Hong Kong right now, but I, I'm American, so I, I, I relate to it. My, my father has a very similar story. You know, he came to the States um, back in the 70s with nothing uh, and, and basically no paperwork, you know, very similar sort of uh, situation. And he was a janitor, but he, he you know, worked his ass off and he was gr- grateful, uh, had gratitude for just being able to have an income, $2 an hour or whatever he was earning back then, um, and eventually worked his way up. And I think that 
it's funny because I think that uh, this whole thing about entrepreneurship now is quite uh, uh, romanticized by you know what we see online and and social media. But back then, and and similar to your experience, you know, I mean, entrepreneurship was basically just life. I mean, you know, it was survival, and uh, it wasn't called anything fancy like entrepreneurship. So um, I, I I love your story there, and so so tell us. Well, you know. You know I- it's funny you said that, though. I want to I want to take a second and say something about that because I, I spend a lot of time trying to educate students of Sikh entourage as well as readers of some of my books mm-hmm. that there's a significant difference between entrepreneurship uh, as to what it really is and what it's shown to be right. today. You know, uh, I think too many people confuse self-employment. They confuse just not having employment and call themselves entrepreneurship just because they feel like they're working on something, mm. you know? And I think it's so important to understand that there's nothing like beautiful about the beginning of entrepreneurship because it's just incredibly hard, you know? Right. And so I think the earlier people just stop fantasizing about the word or the title, uh, the the earlier they're going to get a real taste of what it's really like to be an entrepreneur and not so much focus on the the exciting piece of announcing it to everybody else yeah it's it's a good point you bring up it's it's strange because i've 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 kind of know i mean entrepreneurship the word itself and and the the concept and notion of it uh is has been around for 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 years and generations and it's a huge undertaking but for some reason and i i don't know exactly why uh maybe because of the internet and social media but it's kind of uh, it's it's like you said. It's become uh, it's being misconstrued as as just something as just the, the glamour side of it, right? The reward side, but none of the hard work is really uh, focused on. But I think uh, that's something that's important, and uh, and I'm glad that it's something that you are uh, actively preaching and, and helping and teaching uh, to our our younger generation here. So. Um, Back to your story. So after after you f- came out of banking, uh, you you mentioned another interesting point where you said you know you weren't a born entrepreneur. You know uh, from the get go, you weren't doing lemonade stands and baseball cards that sort of thing. But uh, somehow you realized that look, you didn't want to be poor, so you decided that uh, the the best way was to uh, I guess find found your own businesses, right? So tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, no, actually, you know, it's a little bit of the opposite, actually. When I decided I didn't want to be poor, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do, like I said, and I was already washing cars just to try to make some type of money because I didn't have a green card. But, you know, I, I think that that came more with the idea early on that, like you said, I didn't have a lemonade stand. What I had is the understanding that if my time sitting at home was worth zero dollars an hour, then I was going to spend every hour of my day being worth something, even if it's 10 cents, a dollar, ten dollars, twenty dollars. It just didn't matter. So I stopped worrying about trying to make uh, the most amount of money. And I tried very early on to become as efficient as I could working or putting my time to work as much as I physically or possibly could. Uh, so when I, you know, when I got into banking, I took that very seriously. It wasn't really like, oh, well, this is a transition to starting my own business. I, right. I found my purpose and my passion in banking and leadership and management and teaching uh, a lot of the training programs in banking. So that, that, that was part of why I applied myself a lot and grew very quickly uh, through multiple positions. So by the time I got out of banking, uh, even though it wasn't a favorable ending, I wasn't poor by any means. Like I, I had graduated banking in essence uh, with a quarter million dollar salary, over a million dollar in bonus money sitting there. I had plenty of savings and I was far from poor 
when I entered the world of business ownership at that point. Uh, the, the hardest part was actually uh, when I lost kind of my banking job, it was really defining my purpose again because I had spent uh, almost six years kind of believing that I would be a banker for life. And all of a sudden, someone had ripped that idea out of my head and had made it in such a way that it was going to be impossible for me to do that again, you know? So it, mm. it was more of an identity loss than it was a monetary kind of loss or a decision at that point uh, to make money because I was ultimately considered what you would consider rich by the time I got out of a corporate job, which is very right. untypical in most stories. You know, most people find the majority of their business success through entrepreneurship and small business ownership, but I found a significant amount of financial success being employed by uh, a regular employer like most people. This is actually interesting uh, because uh, you're so, so a lot of the audience, uh, you know, I guess listening in, you know, are either entrepreneurs or, or a lot of them are aspiring entrepreneurs. Uh, and being based in Hong Kong, there's a huge financial uh, services industry here. So I myself was, uh, I worked on Wall Street for many, many years. Um, you know, I'm still an investor now. Uh, but I'm on I'm, I'm on the asset management buy side. But um, you know there was there's a lot of people that go into that industry not not because they want to be there but for the money. And so I'm interested to hear um, you know a lot of them are caught up in this so-called rat race, right? Where they're earning a very good paycheck, like you know similar to amount of money that you probably were earning, uh, you know, towards the end of your banking career. Um, but they're stuck because they either their ex- their expenses have gone up and they're living the, out, you know, above their means or they're requiring a very high paycheck to support their salary, the lifestyle that they're used to. And they don't know what to do afterwards. You know, they know they don't want to do banking, but they're stuck because they don't have an outlet. So some people are trying to branch off and do, say, fintech or do something kind of related to finance, but more entrepreneurial. What was your, uh, how did you come up with, okay, uh, you know, I have a healthy savings. I was making a lot of money. Now I want to be an entrepreneur uh, or I want to start a business. How, how was that process? How did you find exactly what to focus on for your next step? Sure. I mean, you know, I have what you call the, uh, I, I shared this in my book, Radius, but it's what I call the idea triangle. And it's, it's a funny way to looking at, at if your ideas are not just good ideas, but if they're the right ideas for you. And it's the same process I used then uh, for myself. And it was really looking at what I loved, you know, the most and what I loved doing the most and what I was talented or skilled at. And then ultimately how to connect those two things through belief, meaning I had enough confidence to be willing to undertake some aspect related to those two things. And, and for me at the time, you know, uh, one of the things that I was very talented at was design. Like I had an eye for design and understanding of how things just end up beautiful. You know, I was always a big, uh, a big proponent of dressing well, the right watches, mm-hmm. the right person. I had this like eye for things that the common public just really liked. And, and my, my love was obviously focused around cars. And so since I was a talented banker as well, I figured out how can I connect these three very unique uh, things that most people don't really think of connecting, you know? And so for me, it was more right. about, okay, so let's start uh, a kind of a, of a business that focused on tuning cars uh, and just kind of uh, providing, you know, car brokerage, uh, exotic car tuning and everything in between that. But also let's get into timepieces and, and selling uh, other luxury items only to eventually 
find myself faced with the U.S. recession uh, that occurred mm. based on the real estate, you know, fallout uh, in 07. And I decided that, you know, I had to adapt my business to something new because obviously people were not going to be purchasing these things uh, for the following five years. And so at that point, right. I figured, what is everybody who has these things going to be thinking of? And the first thing was, well, all of these things are now going to turn into liabilities. So how can we turn them into assets for people and, and be at the cornerstone of, of being ahead of what others are thinking by providing people that have bought from us before a solution to what to do to undergo through this financial crisis? So again, mixing what I was good at with things that I understood about finance and bringing them to an industry that didn't have any correlation to finance or so it would seem to the outside world. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm intrigued, Pajman. I want to hear about uh, this business that you sort of pivoted to uh, during the financial crisis because uh, I, I was there during that time. I had a lot of liabilities, uh, watches and this sort of thing. Um, so I probably could have used uh, your, your new service there. So tell us about, is that what is now VIP motoring or is that, was that before? No, 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 that's, that's what it evolved to. And since then, it's been kind of a sustainable model. And it still offers today, now that the recession is long gone, you know, we still offer brokerage of exotic cars, allocations of ultra rare hypercars, uh, everything from acquisition of watches, uh, rare pieces, art, and everything in between. Uh, but, you know, I think that the concept was quite simple. Uh, and you, if you were in finance, you obviously understand these things. But there's a depreciation curve and a depreciating kind of schedule to all of these things like cars, watches, and everything else. But luxury assets, meaning like Louis Vuitton uh, purses, or if you look at Ferrari cars, or let's say you look at, uh, I'm using very basic terms that people on this show would understand, you know, instead mm -hmm. of boutique terms, but Rolex watches, etc., all have what you call a bottom cash value versus right. other items, or should I say liabilities, such as normal watches you buy in department stores, uh, really don't. What that means is that at any given point, there's a bottom value that no matter what economic climate you're in, the item is going to preserve as a basis for uh, demand from other people. So in other words, there's always a buyer out there buying things at the right price, not just always buying them high. So right. what ends up happening is once you understand these depreciation schedules and you understand how and what matters when it comes to different brands and different uh, manufacturers, etc., you can actually understand when you are buying items that no longer are going to suffer from any level of depreciation. And so as a result of it, you can literally wear them and in many cases actually get ahead of an appreciation curve based on the lower supply in the upcoming years and the higher demand for specific niches uh, or specific products. So let, let me give you uh, two very simple examples. Uh, one which we right. specialize in, which is what you call hypercar allocations. So we purchase, for example, uh, let's say a LaFerrari car for somewhere around 1.4 million uh, due to our unique connections in the business and that enables us to get one of these cars very early on when they're first released uh, without a wait list or anything else. Once we take that car, mm -hmm. uh, we offer that car as an investment opportunity to our customer base. So what we say is, okay, we have a car for $1.4 million. Uh, we'll get three investors at half a million each to come in on this car with a guaranteed return of 200K in a year. And what happens is we forecast that the 1.4 will turn into 2.5 due to the low supply of the, of the car and the high demand by collectors. 
So the car comes into our ownership. It doesn't get actually driven. It just gets stored, well taken care of. And a year later, it is disposed of for, and just using a round number, $2 million. If each person was entitled to a guaranteed return of 100000 on their half a million, they will be paid that, and the rest will be our fee for doing the job. So the allocation is where, you know, being able to get these cars is where we make the money and where it creates an investment opportunity. Now, the same buyer, like the same client, now obviously wants to own exotic cars themselves to drive, not just to invest in. And so during the recession, obviously, FDIC uh, investments or the stock market may have seemed like a bad idea, but investing in rare exotic cars that would only go up was just a safer alternative because there was an actual asset that wouldn't appreciate. So those same people, though, now wanted to drive exotic cars. If you're able to buy, for example, a Ferrari 458 that brand new was $280,000, if you're able to buy it with 1,000 miles and knowing that it'll never depreciate below $140,000, if you're able to buy that car at $140,000 with mileage that is significantly lower than what it should have for its age, then you can ultimately drive it back to this higher mileage and dispose of it for exactly the same price. And so for our investors and people who were in our company investing in exotic cars, we offered a very unique program that enabled them to buy an exotic car and ultimately give it back to us, not rent it, but like own it in full and give it back to us within 12 months, knowing exactly what their cost was going to be. And in many cases, their cost for owning a Ferrari, Lamborghini, Aston Martin would be less than $5,000 for a 12-month period, which is unheard of. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. I love that business model. I mean, it's uh, it draws parallels to to say value investing in a stock where you where you find the intrinsic value, the, fl- the floor value, and uh, you basically buy it there because you know that, uh, and you know, using your connections, your network, and your research, you know that uh, it's pretty much at the bottom, so it won't go any any further below that. And then uh, using your timing and trading skills, you uh, you basically make money off that. I think it's brilliant. Um, that's exactly so, so, that's exactly the same thing, except we folk, we switch all the stocks with watches, cars, and then offer right. accounting services to help them navigate the tax loopholes around such ownership. That's so smart. Um, so that's awesome. Let's talk about uh, your other two businesses now that uh, that are out there. So there's one called Secret Consulting, I know, and then of course Secret Entourage, which is uh, which is your, I guess, your most recent one. So can you tell us a little bit about those two? Yeah, so Secret Consulting was actually a failed business, like a, a tremendous failed opportunity when I first got out of banking, even before VIP Motoring. I decided that I would train bankers. You know, I was I was talented in training. I believed I should have been a banker forever, like I said earlier. And when I got a chance to get out of banking, I was so excited to just start my own company, just teaching other bankers to do what I had done, which to a lot of people seemed to be impossible. Uh, what was really funny, though, is I quickly learned how incredibly hard it was to start a business in something that you really didn't understand that well outside of the four walls of a major brand. You know, I was part of a bigger bank. It had uh, some kind of momentum and value just to have the name behind me. And when I w- walked out to kind of be in my, on my own, I figured really quickly, like, no one's willing to give me any money for this. And so, right. you know, the reality of business kicked in. Uh, a year went by of failure and then the launch of VIP came. But I kind of went back uh, and after VIP found massive success monetarily and gave me some peace of mind that I kind of had found a new direction in my life, I decided to go back because I still believed in the art of teaching and helping 
younger individuals kind of take better shape. And so secret consulting evolved to be a little bit of a different concept than what it was originally intended to. And it became a very, originally when it started, it became a very good training program uh, on leadership, customer service, and sales. Uh, And Mm. so I started trying to get major banks to buy uh, training for their employees. And again, I got some success, but nothing that was scalable. I adapted that business to become more IT focused and become the marketing IT arm uh, of some of these lifestyle businesses I was dealing with at VIP Motoring. And I adapted kind of a new business model to, again, help me uh, not only survive as a business because I still believed in it, but also kind of try to find what that business was really going to be good at. And, you know, that worked, but it didn't work long enough. But what it did is it gave birth to this idea that I now had a full technology team and I also had a very in-depth understanding of online marketing, even though this wasn't something that I was doing for myself. And so, you know, instead of sitting there and saying, well, I'm going to help other companies build their online marketing, I said, why don't I establish an entire kind of infrastructure of, of a company that allows me to do what I wanted to do with banking, but more so hits more people and helps more people learn uh, when it comes to business, entrepreneurship, and everything in between, things that were, were very important to the success of VIP motoring and also had, had been some of the core competencies that allowed me to move so fast uh, in the leadership space back in my banking days. So I created mm-hmm. or started a blog called Secret Entourage as a result of that, and Secret Consulting became the, the IT company that not only managed other people's companies, but also ended up becoming the management company behind Secret Entourage, which started as a blog just to share the success stories of people who had exotic cars and and were self-made. And I felt there was a huge uh, demand for this. A lot of kids kept coming up to me in my Lamborghini saying, what do you do for a living? You know, (laughs) how how do you drive this so young? Even in my banking days, I lived in Northern Virginia. And in Virginia, we didn't have that many exotics driving around at the time. So it was a pretty big thing that when I would go to the mall, everybody would be like, oh, my God, there's this kid who's driving a Lamborghini. What do you do? And so I felt like there was a need to explain that. So I created a free blog uh, called, you know, Secret Entourage, which stood for the secret to success. Entourage stood for enter our age, uh, you know, and it was really meant to, to help. Uh, it really, really meant to help young people uh, understand what the possibilities of life were if you apply yourself. And I wanted them to see through the lens of all of these people who they always wonder, what do they do? How come they have these cars? And I decided to do stories on these people and illustrate it through beautiful imagery that would appeal to younger people. Uh, it was a free site, and I kind of did it as a hobby. I uh, continued to grow it just because I thought it was important, and I love teaching. And as a result of it, it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I kind of let it kind of ride on its own, didn't really think much of it, until one day I realized that, wow, like there's a lot of people on the site. There's a lot of people reading the stories. We're getting a lot of positive feedback, and maybe it's time for this to become a self-sustaining uh, philanthropic type business uh, instead of being one where it requires me to, you know, invest all this money and keep this team on board to just bring this, this website to life. I said, why don't I come up with how can this biz- how can this website turn into a real big business that is going to be good for change, you know, and change across the right. board everywhere in the United States. And so, you know, the birth of Secret Entourage came where I created a network of 300 plus of some of the most incredible exotic car owners, millionaires, billionaires from across the country, and asked them all to pitch in, not with money, but rather their time at teaching. 
my goal was that mm -hmm. if they spend one hour teaching something to someone that they've never met through video, uh, that person would now be, would be like having a mentor of such sort, even though you would have no access to it in some parts of the United States, you know? And so I decided like, I'm going to put this together and it took about seven years uh, to put together what is today known as Secret Entourage, uh, the brand, which includes Secret Entourage Academy, uh, as well as the free blog of Secret Entourage itself and encompasses a lot of the teachings found in my books, which are all, of course, published by this uh, same kind of massive brand. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I was uh, looking at your site earlier and it's it's just very aesthetically pleasing. I mean, it's very, it's just put together so nicely. And I know that you you have a, a lot of different verticals uh, when it comes to the education side. Uh, you know, everything from, say, even finance to fitness uh, to to entrepreneurship, right? So uh, how are you able to curate such high-level sort of speakers and instructors uh, for this? So my, my whole thing was that, you know, one of the angles that a lot of people love and some people hate is that, like you said, it's very aesthetically pleasing, right? And in some cases, it's misunderstood because... The photography involves exotic cars uh, and involves beautiful, beautiful uh, imagery of homes, mm -hmm. exotic cars, and everything in between, right? So it's very important, uh, it's very important that people understand that uh, if, if these images are there is because we want young people to be motivated, we want young people to be curious, even if they have no interest in entrepreneurship. I think so mm -hmm. many young people uh, lose sight of, of entrepreneurship because they focus so much on making money. And, and there's so many sites that exploit that using exotic cars, uh, lifestyle and everything in between. I, <laughs> yes. and I mean, I'm sure you've seen that too, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. So I thought, well, if the, I call them cartoon characters, forgive me for saying that, but if the cartoon characters are using <laughs> these, this bait to bring in young people, right? Why can't people who have already established themselves, who really own these things, who aren't renting them, who own the latest jets, the latest cars, the latest homes, why can't they be the ones sharing the real success, you know? And so I felt that if we went away from that and instead focused only on business, we wouldn't be able to, to attract and convert people who are confused about the art of money and help them understand the process of entrepreneurship. And so... I think at first this was received with a little bit of skepticism, but over time we kind of showed people through incredible content uh, and through incredible partnerships with some really big names, like you said, uh, that, that we are serious and we're here to stay. So eight years later, it's not very easy for us to reach out to very big names uh, and stay focused on integrity and making sure the content that we are creating is not marketing based, but it is really... Right genuine teaching of good entrepreneurship principles, even if they're not what people expect. And I said this in a manner that's really important because, you know, people often look up to some of the most known stories. Like everybody wants to feature a Mark Cuban. Everybody wants to feature a Gary Vee, you know, like some huge yeah. names, right? But, but I have found that in those names and in those conversations, it is often the least value you receive that is new and unheard of content. So these people are right. constantly marketing themselves everywhere. And so it, it becomes very difficult to get out of them some very new content. And so, Absolutely. you know, I've found it that finding individuals who have had massive success, who are not as well known online, but are equally impactful, powerful, and wealthy, uh, has been the key to being able to grow 
quality content that is not only unheard of, but really focused on teaching rather than marketing yet another product or another service following the, the, the lesson learned, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And and I can draw parallels to that because uh, just for a, a micro example is something like my podcast. You know, uh, when I have a bigger name star on it, like a Gary Vee or someone like that. You know, I mean that's great. And you know, I'm I get starstruck and I enjoy having a conversation with him. But honestly, like you know, he's out there so much that nothing that we have in our conversation is really going to add value to any one of my listeners, right? So the episodes that I get the best feedback from is exactly like you said, Pishman, is basically the ones where they get insights that are unseen before, you know, so things that are very specific to Asia, guests that are have, they've never heard of under the radar, but are extremely successful. Those are the ones that actually get the highest ranking uh, and, the, and the best feedback. So I 100% uh, know what you're talking about. Your site is impressive. What uh, what sort of um, uh, offerings, as, as in if I'm a consumer and I'm, I, I come upon your site and I want to uh, enroll, so to speak, uh, what's sort of the, uh, the, the price, pricing model there? And, and, and I know you have some free stuff that you offer as well. Oh, we offer a ton of free stuff. I mean, our entire infrastructure is built off of uh, immense amount of free value. I mean, our original goal when we founded Seeker Entourage was really to focus so much on, on allowing people to get exposed to entrepreneurship. I'm a big believer that entrepreneurship does not have to mean small business ownership. It does not have to be a, a segment in everybody's life, and it isn't for everybody. What I am a big believer on is that everybody should be entrepreneurial in their thinking and in their ability to be self-sustaining as human beings. And so if that involves business, great. If it doesn't, then it also comes as part of a mindset and a way of thinking like a perspective on life. And so, you know, we focused all of our content. I mean, thousands of articles, uh, incredible stories, all of that focused uh, on some of the most incredible minds in the world presented in a beautiful manner, completely free, nothing to buy to, to digest this content for people who want to be more guided in their approach and have access to real video courses and lessons We've put together an academy that has made uh, entrepreneurship extremely affordable, uh, starting with uh, rates as low as $99 for lifetime memberships, meaning no monthly fees or having affordable monthly payment plans like $27 a month, uh, giving people access not only to tons of uh, great courses and information covering over 200 industries uh, by 300 plus incredible minds, but also giving them the opportunity to network uh, in our very unique com community of 30,000 plus entrepreneurs who have all taken this pledge uh, of joining the Secret Entourage program and helping uh, educate one another uh, as much as educating themselves. And I think that's really important because the culture we have grown in our movement is so much more than just a student-teacher relationship, but also is the ability to understand that every student has a responsibility to help other students. And teachers mm. are not to be looked at on a pedestal as individuals who are of higher value, but rather come to offline meetings we have for students and together have a beer, hang out, have a glass of wine, and are able to have down-to-earth conversation instead of speeches on a stage uh, where it separates them from the student themselves. So the key was to bring you know a billionaire in a room full of aspiring entrepreneurs and say, hey, if this was your best friend, what would you be talking to him about? And getting them to right. really you know, be inspired, but also understand that 
there's a huge opportunity for them to network, even with people that they thought previously impossible to network with. I love how you've legitimized the private jets and the <laughs> the the Ferrari marketing, and now it's like you know it's like it's gone full circle. But I I love the fact that it's it's you're you're like no no this is this is real. <laughs> the, these people actually do drive these because of their success. So I love that. Um, well, you know you know what I, a, 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 a simple line comes to mind. I'm sure you've heard this being in finance, and is you know like money talks, but wealth whispers. You know right right and. And I thought for the longest time, I said, why does wealth have to whisper? Mm-hmm. Why does money have to talk, but wealth whisper? Why can't wealth just come out and tell anybody with money to like, just shut up, you know? Right. And so we came <laughs> up with this concept that it was like, well, if the, if the rich guys are talking about it, then the wealthy guys need to be teaching it. And so, you know, we, we've done, I think, a good job at connecting the two. Awesome. You've written a whopping 10 books to date. Your most recent called Third Circle Theory. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? So actually, my most recent is Radius. Oh, sorry. Sorry, um, Radius. Yeah. Yeah, which is the sequel to Third Circle right. Theory. Um, and uh, Third Circle Theory in itself is my best-selling book. Third Circle Theory was a, a very unique approach to entrepreneurship mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to perspective instead of mindset. Uh, many people believe that uh, mindset is the core reason why people succeed in business or in entrepreneurship. My theory is that perspective uh, holds a lot more weight than mindset. And so I've broken down uh, into a book, uh, just every single human being falls into three circles, which is ultimately the mastery of circumstance, the mastery of society, and the mastery of life. And so if we're able to categorize each circle through different things such as habits, money, uh, perception, uh, lifestyle, and everything in between found in these three circles, we're able to identify where uh, we find fault in ourselves and where we feel stuck and why. And so using nothing more than your two eyes, I teach people using that book how to progress through life and put themselves in a position for victory, uh, which is much more important than doing the work to get to the victory. Because I feel that too many books today are talking about the zero to a hundred uh, starting line. You know, like you get to zero and here's what you do to get to a hundred. Right. But so few books are focused on talking about the negative 100 to zero, hmm. which is what third circle theory does. It's the prequel to entrepreneurship. I mean, I, I think you can talk to every single famous entrepreneur on the planet and they'll tell you that they didn't find their success by deciding to start a business. And then they were at a hundred within 10 years, right. you know, they had to get to a point where they were in the capacity to even get started. You know, they have to acquire skills, habits, and everything before even getting to the starting line. Right. And I think so many young people fail in entrepreneurship because uh, they just think that getting to the starting line, like being at the starting line, they just need to get started. You know, so many podcasts, so many shows talk about, oh, you can't stand still, just do something, take right. action. But so few are talking about what are the actions that you should be taking prior to starting, not starting on a business that you have no idea how to connect the dots on that you don't understand. And I use a good analogy for this. I'm sure you've seen the the meme that says like, you know, in entrepreneurship, you have to jump off a cliff and figure out how to, you know, build a parachute along the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. You've, you've heard that uh, yes. I call it this, this dumb meme, but anyways, so this, the reason that doesn't make any sense is because if someone jumps off a cliff and they've never interacted with a parachute, they've never understood how it works. They've never understood what it takes then they're going to crash and there's no way they're going to learn how to build a parachute along the way if they don't understand how parachutes work. Mm. And so the point is that 
If you are at the edge of a cliff, you have a parachute in your backpack, you understand how to put it together and then make the jump, your survival rate is going to be increased significantly right. versus your death rate where you actually fall, break your leg, and then can't get back up to do it again. Right. And I think that if we help people understand that entrepreneurship isn't what that sexiness about you know Instagram is and about posting quotes on your Instagram, it has nothing <laughs> to do with that, right? It, it's hard. It requires to be taken seriously. And I, and I think that's yeah. where, where we can make a big impact, you know, is people with shows like yours, Jay, that can help educate people can really focus on, on sharing this message that, you know, you have to be prepared uh, to a degree, you know, like you can't just say, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to have a perfect body just by going to the gym and showing up every morning. You're going to right. require to take on a great diet. You're going to require to build habits, to be able to show up on time. And you're going to have to get familiar with the different uh, machines and how to use them. And then only then you'll find your way and be able to put on a really good show and grow your body to where you want it to go. And the same thing can be done with your mind, your money and everything in between. And that's what the concept of third circle theory covers. Got it. Very interesting. So, and then the sequel, which is Radius, what does that get into? So a lot of people after reading Third Circle Theory said, listen, PJ, you've changed my life. I, I look at life completely differently, but I don't understand how this is a business book. Like it's not connecting the dots for me. You know, like I understand yep. why I am like I am. I understand how to change. But what if I'm ready to get to that starting line? What if I'm ready to get started? Well, race stands for reaching across different industries, uncovering solutions. And it's what I call the universal language of business. Uh, I break down for people what I call the five pillars of business, which are, you know, ideas uh, and people, uh, followed by product or service, followed by business, followed by branding, followed by empire. And every business goes through these five pillars at any given time uh, or doesn't, depending on how good you are at understanding how to evolve from one to the next. Uh, and so giving people a very clear path on how business, regardless of industry, regardless of what you're doing, uh, evolves and what are the steps to take uh, in a condensed version that is actually applicable at every single word and page uh, has enabled people that have read Third Circle Theory to say, okay, now that I'm ready, I understand exactly what are the steps I need to take, even though he's not covering my exact industry, I can apply, I can apply this universal language of what he's sharing here to my industry and how I need to grow my business within it. And so I've come across with this, I've put together this universal language that every business in any industry uh, can apply and actually evolve or understand why they're being stuck uh, in certain places. Got it. Got it. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty uh, useful, valuable information. I think, uh, I think all the listeners should definitely check out uh, if not both, at least uh, at least one of those two books. Um, Pejman, thanks so much for your time. It's been actually really, really good uh, hearing your story and, and very insightful. And I love hearing just about your businesses and and your 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 journey. And uh, and thank you so much for sharing. I want to uh, I want to leave with a, a few questions, a final couple questions, uh, which uh, which would be pieces of advice that you would give. Um, a to young entrepreneurs or ex aspiring entrepreneurs, maybe of a younger generation. What's what's uh, one thing takeaway that they can they can uh, you know take action on uh, if they want to become an entrepreneur? What's the first thing that they should be doing? Or well, 
Yeah, I mean, I tell people this, I get asked this a lot, you know, and in the, the biggest question, I guess, is what do I do in 2018 or in 2017 to be successful? You know, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And, and I tell the young entrepreneurs that, listen, that's, that's the worst question you can ask <laughs> because it's not, it's not about what you do in life, but it's about how well you do it and how much you're willing to commit to doing it. Yeah, often people are like, am I in the right business? Am I doing the right thing in business? And I tell them, you know, like, do you want to be in this business in 10 years? And often the answer is no. Then I'm like, why are you in it today if you're not committing to getting really good at it, you yes. know? And usually it's like, well, there's a lot of money in it, well, but you're not going to get to it if you're not really good at it. Right. So, so what's the point of being in business if you're not willing to commit to the art of business in itself, you know, for whatever industry you choose? So I guess my, my first piece of advice would be don't focus or don't worry so much about what to do to be successful. Be worried about how much commitment and how well you're willing to do it. And if, if that still aligns, you know, if you're willing to commit the next 10 years to it, if you're willing to become the best at it, uh, then I think that is going to be really the reason you do become that and, and end up becoming super successful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, people, especially for people that, like I said earlier, you know, guys that are guys and people in general that have jumped into industries uh, for the wrong reasons, like money, uh, finance is notorious for that. Um, you know, a lot of people, they don't, they don't actually like finance and they, they're, they're just drawn to it for the paycheck. And so I think that that's very important to, 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 to understand that it takes years to become an expert or, or hone a craft of whatever you want to be, uh, gain mastery in. And then, you know, the money will come after that. Um, yeah, and money matters. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to say that money is important. Mm. It just, it shouldn't be. You can't focus on money. You have to focus on becoming so good at something that money follows you. So I right. think that's the differentiation. In both cases, you know, we're not saying money is not important. We're just saying that talent trumps uh, money in terms of getting it. And you're going to get more of it in the long term by finding your talent rather than focusing so much on making money. That's right. That's right. Um, so what, uh, last couple of questions are first, uh, what are some things that you yourself personally are working on or maybe your businesses uh, throughout the rest of the year or maybe into 2018 that you're super excited about and want to share? And finally, where can people find you, follow you and connect with you? Sure. So, you know, one of the, the, the most exciting uh, times for me is that we've taken everything we were talking about at VIP Motoring mm. and, and we've created two websites to help people understand how to turn liabilities like watches and cars into assets right. anywhere in the world. Uh, it's called exoticcarhacks.com and it's called watchconspiracy.com. Those are two sites we've created where they're ultimately newer versions of similar to Secret Entourage, but focused specifically on exotic cars uh, and watches and luxury watches and how to leverage those uh, in your portfolio, as well as ultimately to enjoy. I'm sure you're a watch guy and car guy yourself. That's awesome. Uh, So we teach people how to leverage these things instead of lose money on them. Those are the projects I'm working on. They've grown tremendously. We've worked on them for the past nine months. Uh, They've almost as uh, influential as Secret Entourage, which has been around for eight years in such a short time. And the best place to follow me uh, is obviously on Instagram. Uh, I'm at I Create Millionaires on Instagram and obviously on Facebook as well with my first and last name. People can search me. I'm very reachable. So feel free to follow at Secret Entourage or at I Create Millionaires. And if you have a question, if you're listening to this and are 
you know, excited about getting into entrepreneurship, but are still finding yourself puzzled or confused, reach out to me anytime. I'm happy to uh, take a moment and walk you through what you can do to find more success in life. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm I, as soon as we get off, I'm going over the watch conspiracy because <laughs> I, I'm 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 dying to to uh, to learn more about that. Thanks so much for your time, Fajran. It's been awesome uh, catching up and hearing your insights. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hey, thank you again for having me on the show. All right, take care. We'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness. Yeah.